You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We can debate issues as well as anybody outside of Christianity can. Because a church has a master's degree in debating issues. Sometimes to the point that where we can ostracize people outside of the church in doing so. And what I find interesting is after doing this for 22 years, and if you don't know me, walking with people out of social displacement for 22 years of my life, the things that we do here in this town, one of the things I've learned is that we debate these issues less when issues have a name and a story. It's important, especially right now, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. It's not going to be too long, but we'll talk about this in a little bit. That we don't lose the humanity of these issues that we debate as a nation and as a church. Jesus said that Sabbath wasn't, that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Do you know what that means? See, there was a time when the Pharisees and the religious and political leaders made the laws more important than the people that the laws were, protect, were meant to guide and protect. And so as a result of that, they wouldn't even let a father help a son on Sabbath. They wouldn't even let a man who's, who needed to be healed be healed on Sabbath without some sort of debate. The laws became more important than the people that the laws were meant to support, uphold, guide, and protect. Humanity was lost in debates over law. Jesus said man wasn't made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. That the law was meant to guide and support and nurture the best of us as a human, as a human race. And that it was important that we keep the first things first. It's important that as a church, we do not lose the humanity of those that are made in the image of God. That we do not lose the humanity of those who live through circumstances we can't fathom, that we do not lose the humanity of those with whom we disagree, all in the name of trying to be right, are doing what the Pharisees and Sadducees did, and weaponizing the Bible as a tool to hurt people, rather than a way of trying to understand the vision of God for all people. Does that make sense? We need to be better, and we can be. Because we are a what? A what? A royal, a holy, a people for his possession. Proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's going to be hard to proclaim his mighty deeds if we're too busy proclaiming other things that hurt the humanity in our neighbors. Church, let's not lose sight of that. Philemon is where we're going to begin. We're finally getting into the series that I said we would get into months ago. Because if you know me, you know that's how it works. But I do want to say real quick, at the embarrassment of Carolyn and Rusty, Carolyn and I know, see, I saw you roll your eyes. I see you. Hey, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here, both of y'all. Carolyn has been battling cancer. And sister, we are glad that you're with us today. Praise the Lord for you being here. So on page nine, you have the whole book here. I just want to read it, and then I want to offer short thoughts, and then we're going to be gone. We keep these outdoor gatherings to an hour. We can do it. 
We got this, right? All right. I'm not giving you the 11-minute sermon I gave you last time, so probably gave your hopes up. All right. So Philemon, what I want you to do is pay close attention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of narrate the letter a little bit because there's something neat about this letter. This letter, scholars believe, is one of Paul's most carefully written letters. And you can tell it's carefully written because of the wording that he chooses. He's very meticulous, very careful, very discreet, very specific with the words he uses. It's a very profound letter. All right. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. That's verse 1. First things first, Paul never identifies himself in an opening letter as a prisoner. It's always an apostle, a called one, or whatever. He may mention it later on in certain things, but this is the first time he opens up a letter by stating his situation. Paul is literally in prison. So Paul's not speaking metaphorically only here. He's not speaking figuratively only here. He does speak that way, but he's literally in prison. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say a prisoner of Rome. Do you notice that? That's important because you can blow by it and be like, well, of course he's in jail. He's in jail because of the cause of Christ. There are three things we're going to talk about over the next several weeks in this letter. Humility, integrity, and the church's call to subvert the laws of the world when they contradict the laws of Christ. We're going to talk about those three things over the next several weeks. It's all up in this letter. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation, everybody say participation. If you have a pen and you want to underline that, do that. Because he says your participation, not your service, but your participation, your partnership and action. We are not servants of God, participants in the things of God. We share in the life of God, with God, beside God, alongside God, filled by God, to do the work of God with the people of God. We are participants in the mission of God. That is our identity a part of our outcome of our identity i pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us i don't know what's going on there through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of christ knowing every good thing everybody say knowing every good thing so there are things we can know we can know we there are things about god we can know there are things about the life of god we can know for I have great joy and encouragement from your love because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed to you, brother. Now listen to this, if you will, verse 8. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what's right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. Everybody say on the basis of love. So here's what's happening. Here's kind of the short version. Onesimus is probably an enslaved one of Philemon. Onesimus did something, and now he's on the run. Paul encounters Onesimus. Onesimus becomes a Christ follower, and Paul wants to send Onesimus back home. Slavery then is different than the slavery we know in American history. Slavery then was still brutal, still ugly, still detrimental to the lives of people. But enslaved ones were at least given some sort of home, some sort of place. Not treated with brutality, but in certain times and in certain contexts treated with a certain kind of humanity. But Onesimus did something wrong to Philemon. And whatever he did wrong would have, been, would have meant that Onesimus would have been put to death. Onesimus becomes a Christian. 
Paul wants to send Onesimus back home. But not as a slave, as a what? As a brother. He literally says that. So Paul is saying, I'll send him home, but, I'll, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I could tell you, I could command you that you do this. But instead, I'm going to appeal to the basis of love. Why? Please listen to me. Christianity is never about coercion. Say it with me. Christianity is never about coercion. Paul could have coerced him. Paul could have power played him. Paul could have used his authority and power to make Philemon do what the gospel says do. And he says that. He says, look, look at this. I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what's right. Yo, I'm an apostle. I could tell you the what's what, and you would have to choose to do this. But what does he do instead? He says, but I'm not going to because I want your heart to be changed. I want your soul to be changed. I'm going to appeal to you on a basis of love. Because love that motivates obedience lasts. Fear that motivates obedience does not last. Coercion and power plays are the opposite of the gospel. Are you with me? That's important. Coercion and power plays are the opposite of the Christ who emptied himself to rescue the world. I, Paul... As an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son. Everybody say, my son. What do you see? My son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Sounds a little bit like what Dave just said, isn't it? Dave has such a solidarity to the children in Nicaragua that he has a fatherly concern, right? Paul had such a solidarity with this enslaved man who had now become his brother in Christ that he called him his son. Come on now. Do you see that? I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Verse 11. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I am sending, read it with me, my very own heart. Hmm. I'm sending you my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, Philemon. Because we're not about coercion, Philemon. We're not about positional power plays, Philemon. I could have said, I'm the apostle and church planner, and I actually saved you in Christ. He even says that. He even says, I actually baptized you in Christ. But, but I, I didn't do that. I don't want to create a Christianity, a religion of coercion and power place. My Lord, save us from this belief that Christianity is supposed to be legislated. That it's supposed to be embarked upon by pastors like me to tell churches what to do. Our elders that stand up before churches and say, this is what we're going to do. Do you like it or not? That's not the way the kingdom's supposed to work. It's supposed to be a community who discerns it together. Right? Because we're all what? Par, what? Participants. Say participants. We're all participants. We're in it together. I wanted to keep him with me so that my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed not, not be out of obligation, but out of your own, say it with me, free will. It's about choice. I want you to choose. 
For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently. Read this with me. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. Look at it. As a dearly loved what? Brother. He's especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the... Now, I want to make sure. Paul wants to make sure that that Philemon doesn't say, oh, you're talking spiritually. So I get to enslave his body, so as long as I save his soul. Sound familiar? What does he say, though? But how much more to you, both in the what? In the flesh and in the Lord. Do you see that? Paul wants to remove any doubt. You can't just call him your brother, spiritually speaking. You see that? Come on now, how does that change things? This man's a slave. Philemon is probably the church leader of churches in Colossae. This is power talking to power. Except it's not. It's Paul releasing power for the sake of the power of the gospel because when Onesimus gets welcomed into Philemon's home as a brother, guess what he no longer is? Come on. No longer a slave. What do you think that's going to do for the neighborhood? I mean, really, what's that going to do for the neighbors? What's the neighborhood going to think of that? He's especially so to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord? Almost done. So if you consider me a partner, everybody say partner. Welcome him. Read it with me. Welcome him. Come on, everybody else. Everybody else say it. Welcome him as you would me. That's called solidarity. Everybody say solidarity. And if he has wronged you in any way, come on now, listen to this, because we are pulling stuff up by its own bootstraps. You made your bed. You got to lie in it kind of society. Listen to what this is. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, read it with me. Charge that to my account. Now, I mean, I don't know how Paul's going to pay that back, functionally speaking, brothers in jail, but I think it's the principle he's trying to indicate here, right? I, and this is what I love about Paul. Paul wants to make sure that he understands somebody didn't ghostwrite this, right? I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now, I will admit that I like Paul's snarky passive aggressiveness here. Look at what he says next. Not to mention that you owe me even your very own self. You see, like, like, and I think that's what Paul's doing. What Paul's doing is he's holding the tension in place. He's saying, look, we owe each other something because we're in this life together, but at the same time, not enough for me to flex on you. Paul's not flexing, but he is reminding that he could if he wanted to. <laughs> and I think I just find that weird, but that's how Paul, Paul seems to do that sometimes. What's important is that he doesn't. Because he's not appealing to coercion because Christianity is not about coercion. Everybody say it with me. Christianity is not about coercion. It's not. It may be about persuasion, but it's never about coercion. It's about Christ. And then we got to deal with Jesus. And then everything. Jesus is the only one who has the authority to really command anything of us. Yes, brother. Well, let me, uh, verse 19. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me your very own self. Yes, brother. May I benefit from you in the 
in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I'm confident of yours, say it with me. Obedience, because obedience is still a thing. But Paul's not calling him to obedience to Paul. Paul's calling him obedience to what? To Christ. To the law of Christ. The law of Christ that said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now Philemon must have been missing that point when he was an enslaver. Come on now. I think he was missing the point. But when Onesimus became his brother, he didn't have an option. Since I'm confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me since I hope that through your prayers I'll be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now you get to go home today and say, we read a whole Bible book. Beloved, Christianity is not about coercion. Never has been, never will be. Paul had every right to demand what he wanted. And he, sub he submitted those rights to the divine right of Christ and appealed to every hearer and every reader that would ever get a word from him, he appealed to them to go to Jesus. Christianity is not about coercion. It's about, everybody say it with me, humility, integrity, and subversion. We're going to unpack all three of those words over the next several weeks. But I want to say this briefly. Humility is about humiliation. Humility is about not needing to win because it understands that when someone wins, someone else what? Loses. And if you want to be on the wrong side of the aisle, then go ahead and try to be the winner and create losers because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the losers. The poor, anawim, it means the losers in Hebrew. Let's not do that. It's about integrity. It's about recognizing that we don't know everything about everything at all times, at all places, no matter how many experts we listen to. And frankly, we don't know everything about the Bible. Two things I want to read you real quick, then I got a, a statement to make with the shepherds. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, if you'll listen, please. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do the rest of the Scriptures. Scriptures have to be studied, not quoted. Scriptures have to be read, not weaponized. The scriptures are the vision of God for the world and they have to be worked out within the context of mutual participation and submission and community. That's Christianity. And if my interpretation of scripture doesn't look like loving my neighbor as I love myself, then I'm probably interpreting it poorly. If my interpretation of scripture looks like coercion and power plays, then I'm probably interpreting it poorly. 
But if my interpretation of Scripture looks like self-giving love, looks like sacrifice, looks like self-emptying, looks like solidarity with Casey, with Jen, with Glenna, with B.I., looks like solidarity, then I'm probably closer to interpreting it rightly because that's what we'll see in Jesus. Paul wrote to Timothy, remind these things, 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things, charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. We are called to be a people who embody the truth we proclaim, not just post about it and lash out at people just because we feel that we can, when in reality we actually not we we, we actually can't. Beloved, these are strange times. There is dividing on every side, and it is not going to stop. And there will be one Supreme Court decision that lands in the favor of some and against others, and lands in the favor of the others it was once against, and against the ones it was once in favor. And we all know that will be the tug and pull of this nation. Am I wrong? Not what we've done for however long? And what we're going to do, if we're not careful, is in that tug, we're going to rip each other apart. Not in this church. I'm saying in general, in the kingdom of God. Now, for this church... I want to speak, and I will close with this, and we'll come to the table on behalf of the leadership of this church to call us to sobriety in the midst of these strange days. Our church family is diverse. Moments like Friday challenge us because of our diversity. A diversity doesn't just come through race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic conditions, but also in some of the values we hold. I received word from some among us who celebrated, some among us who were confused, others were filled with lament. So as a church leadership, we wanted to offer a brief word. And on a personal note, I imagine I'll offer more next week as I still want to take time to digest this. But for now... We realize that the following week may bring more challenges, so we want to offer a brief word now. And before we do, we realize that this word will offer comfort to some and challenge to others, and probably a challenge to some who receive comfort and comfort to others who receive challenge. In other words, our pastoral words, imperfect as they may be, may very well comfort and disturb all of us at once. All right, we clear on that? What did y'all just hear me say? May comfort and disturb all of us at once, at any given moment. But in our heart of hearts, as a leadership who wrestles with this world we live in, and above all, as a men and women who want nothing more than to follow Jesus faithfully and love you well, this is the best we can do today. We have seven things we want to say today. Number one, wherever you are on this issue, you are welcome here. Three of our church's values are listening honesty, and gracious hospitality. This means we have to do the hard work of listening to one another and seek to understand why we value what we do. 
Ultimately, we have to examine our values through the lens of the gospel and the ethics of the kingdom of God, which, according to Jesus, are all summed up in love. Political identity and legislative decisions make this very hard sometimes and sometimes complicated. As followers of Jesus, we are summoned to hold to all things that promote life. We are summoned to work out in real time a much deeper pro-life ethic than what our society often promotes. This for-life ethic demands we promote the things that lean toward life and oppose the things that conspire with death. Scriptures have something to say about this, and it would do us well to study and discern the the Scriptures together. Number two, we want to be a church that resists Settling for oversimplifications, easy answers, and quick fixes. The values we hold that differ will require that we embrace our rule of life, particularly to believe one another's motives. This will require, first and foremost, a relationship. Second, it will require deep reflection, intentional prayer, and a willingness to open up ourselves to one another as we sit before the Scriptures. Three, we should seek humility. Everybody say humility. So much of these divisive issues are not about true care for people, but about worldly power plays and power money. When it comes to the principalities and powers of this age and rulers of this world, including our government leaders, rarely can we blindly assume that what we see is what we get. This is often something deeper going on, and in the end, we just don't know. We need to be cautious and careful in discerning the difference. We need to be humble. Number four, we should seek integrity. Everybody say integrity. It is often said that integrity is who you are when no one is looking. It is also our commitment to hold our imperfections, inconsistencies, and contradictions in a way that admits that we have much to learn and room for growth. Integrity is compassionate self-confrontation, a willingness to face our shadow side, not with contempt, but with gentleness, openness, and if we can, in trusting community. There are things we can know, that God is a God of life, humans are created in the image of God, and that there is unknown wonder and potential of life. But there is a lot we do not know, like crisis pregnancies that happen in a world given over to the reign of sin and death, such as ectoptic pregnancies, septic uterus, septic pregnancies, and pregnancies of other complications. Integrity practically lived is about humbly admitting that I do not know everything and should be slow to impose blanket generalization upon others. Integrity is about wrestling faithfully with what I know and do not know. Christian integrity is about wrestling faithfully with what I know and do not know with what I understand in the life and teachings of Jesus. Finally, integrity requires that I wrestle deeply with biblically informed ethics. We must recommit our lives to wrestling with what bends toward life and conspires with death, including other issues like capital punishment, war, predatory capitalism, unfair housing practices, keeping health care affordable, environmental exploitation, unchecked proliferation of guns, refusing the immigrant, ignoring a racially based justice system, neglecting the poor, disabled, mentally ill, and elderly. Five, we believe it is possible to live with great concern for the dignity of the unborn, and at the same time, hold great concern for women's health care and equality. There is a battle against the very real challenge of pregnancies and, in some cases, crisis pregnancies. 
that, that women face. And we need to be humble and remember that, especially us men, and especially as we consider the dignity of the unborn. Six, we want to offer a word of grace and encouragement. First, we know that there are many women and maybe even men in our congregation who are carrying deep pain, others' shame, and others' guilt. Your story has been put on trial in American Christianity for decades. And God's word to you is that he loves you and is with you. God will not withhold love from you. May you know that God's heart is filled with love, grace, and mercy. We also know that there are those whose love for children has led you to pray for this day to come, where the dignity of the unborn is protected. Then do something. Adopt. Foster. Support the pregnant sister, unwed or otherwise, in financial ways or otherwise. Lastly, number seven, we must do our work towards the common good to see abortions decrease. Our hope is that we'll continue to educate, work for the formation of healthy families, and seek to create a more loving and just world where expanded medical and child care access becomes the standard. To neglect these things is to betray our witness. Let us be, as we declare each week in the who I am and who we are, WCC family, let us live out our rule of life and let us live out our vision to be joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. That is a lot, and we'll email it to all of you this week. But let us, above all things, be faithful and love each other well and love our neighbors well. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 